Uh, I have two announcements as we get started. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's like, who? Uh, first one is this. The youth group are selling Frito boats outside at, for eight bucks a piece. It includes a drink, and that is helping them to go to camp. There is no snacks outside this morning because we're apparently we are forcing you to eat Fritos <laughs> and chili beans. <laughs> so you can have a fun ride home. <laughs> Roll up the window. No, I'm Okay, anyway, uh, if you are so inclined, uh, grab a Frito boat from the kids out there. Again, help them to go to camp. It does include because you will need something to wash it down. So that's the second thing that I have is a Good Friday service is just a few weeks away. Good Friday is the Friday right before Easter. And at Element, we typically do a Good Friday service. Every time they do one, they're just a little bit different than other ones. And this year is going to be no different. We, uh, our Good Friday is just come. Uh, but here's the thing about Good Friday services. A Good Friday services are for people who call themselves Christians, for those who, who follow Jesus, whose lives have been surrendered to Jesus. Not that Sundays aren't or something like that, but it's, I, I'm, I don't use and explain all the metaphors many times that I, that I normally do on a Sunday on a Good Friday service. And a Good Friday service, I try and make us all understand who Jesus is and why Good Friday is good for us, but Jesus died. For our sins that separated us from God. So Good Friday tends to be pretty serious. And if you are going to invite someone to church service with you for the very first time, don't bring them to a Good Friday. Okay, Bring them to Easter Sunday. We'll have a lot of fun. Easter Sunday's going to be great. Uh, but Good Friday, that's what Good Friday is. And uh, usually we don't do child care on Good Friday. Uh, this year, uh, we are going to try to do that if we have some volunteers who'd be willing to watch kids. Uh, we have a ton of volunteers for Easter Sunday because we do one service on Saturday night and then three on the Sunday morning, and so we kind of take up all of our normal volunteers with that. And if you would like to watch kids just zero to five years old on Good Friday, uh, you're more than, we'd, we'd love to have you help do that. Uh, if we don't get enough child care people to watch the zero to five, that we're all going to be in here together. Uh, there aren't going to be any chairs in the room for it, but we're all going to be together, and they may get bored with parts of the things that we're doing, but there's just that. We thought we'd want to throw it out there to see if anybody would like to help watch kids. So you can sign up at the Welcome Center if you do. Hopefully that made sense. I don't know if it did or not, but that, that's what I got. Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you took one before and you lost it, you can take another one. They're free. You get what you pay for, but they're free, so you, you can have one of those. Uh, on all the community tables throughout the room, there are these sermon notes. You can grab one if you would like. On the inside, you'll get some notes. Let's look a little bit deeper into what we're talking about, and then some questions to kind of reflect on what we talk about today and come back to that. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion, and when you download it, it'll just say Bible on it. And you can click on More and then Events in Uversion. will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get the sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. It's a mouthful. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. It says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust you. And that we can cease all of our striving and chasing after wind and all these things that are meaningless. And simply find our lives and who you say that we are. And trust you for the truth that you have revealed. And that we would honor you and love you and surrender all that we are to you. So that we would live out this life in great glory of who you are and the great joy that you have provided us. Amen. Have a seat. 
All right, so we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is week 12 of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you go home to chapter 4 uh, if you'd like to. Uh, the first 11 weeks are all online. Again, like I always say, they're free. You get what you pay for, but you can go listen to those if you want to. And Ecclesiastes is essentially an old man looking back at his life and realizing that everything apart from God is meaningless because there is no purpose in life if there is no God. And so Solomon is doing this whole thing now where he's starting to make all these comparisons between one thing and another to see which one is better. Like, we do this make comparisons all the time. Years ago, there was the, the Pepsi challenge, and you had to compare Coke and Pepsi and see which one was better. And apparently, everybody liked Pepsi, but Coke still outsells Pepsi, so I don't know what to do. I like Pepsi. My wife likes Coke, so whenever we go out to eat, Restaurants only have one of those, and so one of us drinks water. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of how it works. Um, one of my favorite shows is on YouTube. It's called Good Mythical Morning. And if you ever watched it, if you haven't, you should. It, it, it's hilarious. But they will do a lot of times these blindfolded taste tests. And so they do, you know, blindfolded comparison of what fast food pizza is better. Papa John wins, apparently. Uh, they do a blindfolded sub sandwich contest. Jersey Mike's wins. Uh, they have done uh, breakfast biscuits and hottest pepper challenge. One of my favorites they did was the hot hottest candy challenge and it so inspired my friends and I that we bought these candies and did it ourselves it was amazing second hottest candy we came across was a thing called the toe of satan man it was brutal and then the hottest one we had it was this tiny little chocolate said world's hottest chocolate bar dear lord oh my goodness we ate this thing you got Sean Jones he's in my backyard holding on to my pergola like this going Mike Foster, our old drummer, he's walking around the backyard going. (laughs) And somebody might have thrown up. Wasn't me, but somebody just might have thrown up because it was so hot. It was awesome, and it all comes from this show. But they rank Girl Scout. It's all this food stuff, you know, comparisons. I don't know why. You're third service. It doesn't matter. I can just ramble on. Um, The writers of scriptures, they they do this. They they take about these comparisons so we can understand uh, folly and wisdom and obedience and disobedience. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 15.22, I told you this last week, he says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. It's the understanding that loving God is more important than religious motions that mean nothing. I also told you last week that Solomon writes this proverb about joy in a home. In Proverbs 15, 17, he says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox with hatred in it. And again, that's the idea that it's better to eat nasty vegetables in a home full of love than steak where there is no joy. I am a firm believer steak can make everything better, but apparently not hatred, so there you go. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon is doing these comparisons now. The verse I had you stand for at the beginning, Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. We talked about this last week, but that's that whole comparison. Now this week, he's going to start a whole nother comparison about community and friendships and doing life together. Today, hopefully, will be very practical for all of us. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, that's where we're starting today. It says, two are better than one. See the comparison right there. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So you have here these contrasts, these comparisons. And it's important to understand how these are written because Israel, what was known as a communal culture, they saw a community, did everything together, and they would think about their actions in terms of how that would 
would affect the community around them. Now, as Americans, we think of ourselves as individuals, right? Individuals, it's the American way. Oh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, we're going to figure it out. We're going to do those things. That, that's America. And this is why it's sometimes hard for us when we read things in the scriptures to understand really what's going on because we are so individualistic. And yet, deep in our hearts, God has called us into community, and we know that. And so we sit on this weird tightrope sometimes between community and individualism. So in this, we want to start with God himself because that's the place where we should always start with God himself. We are told in this thing called the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I've told you before this word for one here. It's this word called Echad, and it refers to singularity and plurality. It refers to like a cluster of grapes, like uh, one cluster, many grapes. And we believe that God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, distinct but one God. But what that means is that God lives in eternal community in himself, a Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when God makes humankind, he makes us, in part of that image and likeness of him, part of that is that we were made for friendship and community and intimacy. And so in creation, you'll see this phrase, and God said, and it was so, and it was good, and God said, and it was so, and it was good, and God said, and it was so, and it was good. He makes man, and he says, that's very good. And the only place God says not good is in regard to the man being alone. Now, God doesn't say that because he likes women better. It's a statement about relationships. At this point in the creation narrative, there's no fall, there's no sin, there's no disobedience. Man lives in intimacy with God. He walks with him, he talks with him, but God says alone and not good. He doesn't say evil or sinful. He says alone and not good. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is the idea that God is above man and creation is below man. He's supposed to steward it and have responsibility over it, but there's no one beside him to walk with him and partner with him in this and how he's supposed to then have responsibility for this entire creation. And so what God does, he says, this is not good. I need to make someone to be in covenant relationship with him, to be friends with him. And so what God does is he makes this person named Eve. And then Adam and Eve together become one flesh, and they begin to have the stewardship and responsibility of all of creation. But we must understand throughout the rest of the biblical narrative, it doesn't just refer now to the idea of a husband and a wife. This is community coming together, calling into where God calls and leads us to be. Community is a great gift given by God. And this is, again, why it's not good for the man to be alone. This is a wonderful environment of grace and goodness in this garden. But what happens is Adam and Eve, they sin against God. They break relationship with him. They run away from him. They think they know how to do their lives better than what God says. And so what they do is they break relationship with God. And in so doing, they break relationship with one another. Sin is what separates people. And it still does to this day. We were made to be a people who know oneness and friendship and community. And this is why loneliness is painful for all of us. Like, I think we want to be in community with God. And we should crave to be in relationship with other people. But sometimes we don't because there's something that is broken within us and broken in other people. So today, there is this thing in our world that we call social capital. Okay? Social capital is where we get our emotional needs met in community. Like we have a thing called money. Money is called financial capital. We have information. Information is intellectual capital. But our friends and our relationships are meant to be social capital. Like if your car breaks down and you don't have AAA, who do you call? You call your friends, and they show up, and they make fun of you for not taking care of your car better. And you know, if you, It's your birthday. Who's going to show up and eat your cake? Is this on? Hello. Who's going to show up and eat your cake? Your friends. Me. Okay, here we go. (laughs) 
Raise your hand, I'll come over. No, I don't like cake. I like pie, though. And so your friends will come over, and then they will give you inappropriate birthday cards that you never read in church, maybe unless it's element. But, you know, it's, it's like, hey, this is a great birthday card. I love this. In the human equation, there is this thing called social capital, where we need love. We need to give love to one another. Studies have actually shown that churches have the highest amount of social capital in the world. Studies have also shown that as church attendance declines, so has, has attendance in every other civic organization in our culture because most volunteers came out of churches because churches remind people that we're here to serve those around us. Now, there's this excellent book. It came out so long ago. Some of you may not even been bored when it came out. It was all the way back in 2001. But in 2001, there's this book came out. It's called Bowling Alone. And it's this 25-year study that chronicles the collapse and the sort of revival of American community. And any book or study on statistics and things like this, it's out of date as soon as it's published because society moves forward. There's a newer book out in 2015 called uh, Our Kids, the American Dream in Crisis. But these books show that as attendance in churches have declined, in Protestant churches, 15 to 12%, that is a 20% decline, by the way. That's astronomical. That as that happens, happens, a full 50% of civic and volunteer involvement came out of churches. And what they do is they show this direct correlation between charitable giving really anywhere and church attendance going down and depression and isolation skyrocketing. They show how mental health services are, are rising because people become lonely and they get depressed. And while depressed, they want someone to fix them. And it's really because we're all a bunch of people who are told we're individuals. You got to do life alone. And so we try to do life alone and we were never meant to do life alone. I've had people come to me and ask if I will do counseling with them. And I always tell you this, I am not a good counselor. Sometimes people went, that was terrible. Right, okay, I'm a horrible counselor. But sometimes if I have time, I do meet with people and we, we talk through things. And a lot of the times, people don't really want counseling. What they want is they want to sit and talk. They want someone to talk to, to listen to them, to connect to and that's the thing. We are so alone. We're looking for therapists to do usually what friends used to do for us. And all, by the way, also, I'm a terrible listener. Uh, this is why I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher, because I want to tell you what to think. Okay, that's, that's, that's what I do. Uh, so here are some social changes in America that come from these books. Some of these things are out of date, but I think you'll get my understanding of where we're going. Uh, so in Bowling Alone, they talk about how playing cards is down 25%. Uh, this would be like, people play like Gin Rummy or maybe Uno or Slapjack. If you're not any good, play 52 Pickup, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, but this, this is where they say that it still continues to fall about 1% a year after that. Now, this is a big deal because what do people do when they play cards? They talk and swear at each other, right? But, but it's, you're building social capital. And those, those older ladies who have like their bridge clubs and stuff, they're like a dying breed in that. Uh, they show that the number of bars and nightclubs, and this is like Elmer's or Louis B's and, and things like that, they're down 40%. Uh, today, we look at people who hang out in bars all the time as either alcoholics or weirdos. That's what we do. But previously, they were gathering places for social life. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he wrote the majority of his sermons in the pub. Where do people go now? They go to coffee shops to get their free Wi-Fi and open the laptops. And what do they do? They sit there all alone, well, really kind of in community with other people, but they're all alone. And what do they do if you try and talk to them? You probably don't know because you probably don't, but I do because I'm a weirdo and I talk to people. And I go, hey, and they look at you like you're a weirdo. I'm going to call the police. Why are you talking to me? coffee shop. I don't even like coffee. My wife's ordering coffee. What am I supposed to do? I don't like coffee. I'll talk to you. And it's just awkward. Don't be me. Um, 
The number of full-service restaurants is down 25%, while fast food outlets and serve-yourself restaurants is up 100%. This would be like the Blaze Pizza where you go and you order it, and you grab it and bring it back to your table and all that. But, but full-service restaurants are actually down. Uh, people today, they will, they will eat in their car, maybe while talking on the phone with somebody else, but they're all alone in isolation. Uh, having a social evening with someone from your neighborhood is down 33%. Like we're supposed to love our neighbor, but we don't even know who they are. Uh, attending clubs and meetings is down 58%. When I do premarital counseling, I, I usually ask the couple a question, and that is, who's going to attend PTA meetings f- for the kids? And more and more these days, what people say is neither, because we don't do things like that anymore. Uh, family dinners are down 33%. And when people do do dinners together, they all grab their food and go their separate ways. When I was a kid growing up, when it was dinner time, you were there. It doesn't matter if you were hacking up a lung and blood was coming out your ears. You showed up for dinner. That's what you did. And then I had to eat... Pot roast, which I don't like, and potatoes, which I don't like. I have to sit there and eat them until I was done. It was terrible, but we all had to be there. It's just how it was. And today, it doesn't really matter anymore. Having friends over to our homes is down 45%. And this is one of the reasons Element pushes gospel communities so strongly, is we want people to begin to gather together. And I'm hoping we're, we're bucking that trend a bit in that. So it's pointed out that people used to build houses with these wraparound porches on them because people would come over and you'd sit around out front and you'd mock your neighbors as they went by or whatever they did. Now, architecturally speaking, those porches are now turned into walk-in closets or into home offices. We build zero-lot line houses with no parking out front because houses are now built to assume an isolated lifestyle. And people just start to accept it, and we aren't combating it. We're making it our brand new normal. Time spent caring for pets is up 15%. Uh, I call this cat ladies, dog guys. Yes, that can switch, but that's typically the rule. Uh, Like we don't love our neighbor, but we love our pet. Uh, Time spent for personal grooming is up 57%. Why? Right, we're not hanging out with anybody. What's it for? You know? (laughs) combing your hair, combing your pet's hair. Well, I don't know. We spend our time doing something. We are an isolated culture who only thinks and looks at ourselves. Our, ourselves and our pets get all of our time. So in this Bowling Alone study, they showed that from 1980 to 1993, America's number one participant sport was bowling. Again, I know it's weird, but they actually said that during those election years, more people bowled than voted, which is probably what's wrong with some of the government. But anyway, yeah. so they showed that bowling was up 10%. But bowling in leagues was down 40% because everyone was still bowling, but they were just bowling alone, hence the name of the book. Uh, watching movies and concerts and sporting events was all up, but now today people don't mind going to those things alone when they used to be a gathering of friends getting together. Our culture is starting to become a culture of observers and not participants. Like, we don't play sports. We watch sports and then complain about how bad somebody is and say, I could have done it better if I was there. No, you couldn't, by the way. Uh, We have started to create a society where we're lonely and alone, and now we pay people to do things that once friends would have done for us. I had a friend who was recently moving across town, and they were going to rent a truck and and pay some people to move them. And I was like, why would you do that? You have friends. And they said, well, I don't want to bother them. I'm like, what are friends for if not to bother? I will tell you, I will bother you when I need something, so ask me to come over. I got a truck. This is the worst thing in the world. Don't ever buy a truck, because everybody asks you to come help them do stuff. (laughs) We are detached, and we're moving further apart from people. And, And again, sin is the ultimate reason that we started talking about, but socially, I think there's two main culprits in this. Uh, Number one, uh, television. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with TV. My wife and I love watching TV together. We love sci-fi. We're on the same page. We like the same shows. It's, It's great, except she watches a show called This Is Us, which I will never watch because every time she calls me after, she's like, (laughs) and I'm like, 
why would I ever watch this? It sounds horrible, right? But, but people today will build a relationship with the box. Uh, we love reality TV. Reality TV is, is cheap to make, and so they make it a lot of them. And people love watching reality TV. It's like we're watching other people live lives, and, oh, it's so interesting. They went outside of their house. Look what they're doing now. It's, we don't know. We watch other people who have friends, and then tune in the next week as they hang out with their friends and see what else they're going to do on this week with their friends. You watch the train wrecks. It's the Kardashians or the Real Housewives of wherever. I've never seen it. But we have this relationship with the box and not other people. And again, I'm not saying TV is bad, but why don't you at least invite somebody over to watch it with you? Where you're just hanging out with somebody else, right? And the second reason is internet and our mobile devices. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love my phone. I love all the technology. Like, watch this. Remind me at 3 p.m. to save the city of Spider-Man. Here's your reminder. (laughs) 3 p.m. If I'm done mowing the lawn, I will pick up my PS4 controller and save the city of Spider-Man. Because she told me to. She was like, save the city with your Fosters. You know, she's Australian. I don't know. But, But it's amazing. But studies now show we will spend more time looking down than engaging other people around us. And so 3,000 year ago, years ago, Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes, and he notes how it's meaningless for us to isolate ourselves to the detriment of ourselves. And this is why he gives us practical reasons for friendship and community. And I'm going to give you those, okay? So first off, effectiveness. Uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, two are better than one. I believe that. I, I am forever trying to do things on my own and hurting myself. See this band-aid? Would not have happened if I had someone to help me, but I didn't, so I hurt myself, and I always do this. It's, it's terrible. Uh, I got married when I was 22 years old because I couldn't handle it any longer, but this isn't just referring to marriage and things like that, because yeah, I'll tell you, you need friendships because it stinks to eat lunch by yourself, and it, and it stinks to eat dinner by yourself or, or drive on the freeway and look at the carpooling and be like, oh, that looks so much fun, people in the carpooling, woe is me, right? It, it, We're supposed to have community with each other. Uh, He says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That's the word for work. And this is true. When people work together, they can share resources. They get more done. I was talking to Sean Jones, the guy that's leading music this morning. We were supposed to both go to this wedding in Arizona last year. And it's like, yeah, we'll go. We'll share a rental car. We'll split the cost. It'll be great. And then Sean Jones bailed on me because he's a loser. But Corey and Jadine went. Corey's the guy that does the high school ministry. And so we split and shared a car there because two are better than one. Life in the church should be like this. You, you work together. You help each other. Uh, if you buy a house, if there's a real, find a realtor in the church. You need a loan. Find a loan broker in the church. You, have your friends help you move when, you, when you've got to move. If the house you move into breaks, find, find a contractor. And we have all of those in Element. But then in the end, you help in return. Like, I cannot tell you how much work Pete and Victor and Kevin and a ton of you people did, you people, a ton of us all did to make this place livable as a church building for us to meet in. And we do this because we love one another. And when Pete built his house, a bunch of guys from here went over and installed his Wi-Fi and got it set up and running because life lived in rhythm with each other is a family. And we share things with one another, and it's far more efficient and profitable than ever going in alone. And we do this because of love. The New Testament likens this to a family. We get to help each other. We get to step into people's lives. And that doesn't mean the realtor you find an element sells your house for free. That's not what that means. It means we step in and help one another when we can in different places. Like, you get in a car accident. 
People, who's going to help you with transportation? Hopefully somebody in your family, and that could be the element family around you. If your washer and dryer goes on the fritz and you can't afford another one, who's going to help? Well, one of the people in here might actually be able to help you get a different washer and dryer. Uh, we have this closed Facebook thing because we, we just don't want any weirdo on that. We want element weirdos. Uh, but we... But we do in this is it's an exchange. And if you have something that you don't need or somebody else could, people post on there. And if you want to be part of that, uh, talk to Sarah afterwards. She'll send you an invite. She'll accept you. We'll, we'll have you on it. But it's just this thing of, of, do you have this? Do you want this? Oh, hey, I'm looking for this or this happened. Or, hey, uh, my sitter just, just bailed at the last minute. Anybody have a kid who'd like to babysit this? You know, and there's all kinds of things that go like that on there because it's effective to work together. Uh, second thing he talks about is help. Uh, chapter 4, verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Like, remember that old commercial, help, I've fallen and I can't get up? That's sad because that person is all alone. In times of trouble, which every single one of us are going to face at some point, friends are desperately needed. And if our goal in life is just money or business, which is where Solomon starts chapter 4, and not family, we will never have true community and friendship. Who do you invest in? Who do you invest in in your life? If you've got an accident or your house burns down, who's going to let you live with them and and support you and and who's going to let you go in their fridge and eat all of their food? We need to have people to be in community with. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 11, companionship. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? At this time, this was a big deal because it got cold in the winter times, and so sometimes men would have to, men would sleep with men, and women would sleep with women, and when I say that, it sounds so weird in our culture today because I say sleep together, it sounds like, oh, you're talking about sex. It wasn't about sex. It's about companionship and friendship and staying alive with one another. Our culture is so messed up because we can't separate close relationships from sexual relationships. I was talking recently to a mom whose child has same-sex attraction, and they said, my child just wants to care about people. Is that so I said, that's an amazing thing. That is beautiful. Why does it always have to be sexual, though? That was my question in it, because we don't know how to separate friendship from sexuality. I mean, you look at our TV shows and movies, right? If somebody, if they're friends, eventually a guy and a girl owe their sexual tension, and then eventually they sleep together. Why? Because we don't know what to do with close friendships, I, I was reading this book recently. Holly DeCourt uh, recommended it to me. It's called Seven Myths of Singleness. And I'd recommend it if you're single, pick it up. It's a great book. If you're wondering what those single people do, read the book because it's really pointing towards community and closeness and intimacy. That doesn't have to be sexual. It can be deep friendships that are, that are good. Jesus says, John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus doesn't say if you're having sex with one another. He says love for one another. Touch, closeness, intimacy doesn't have to be sexual. And it can be so much deeper because sometimes when words won't help, touch does. And we can touch people in real and honest ways. And then chapter 4, verse 12 is protection. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What that means is if you're going to get in a fight, take your buddies. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Partially joking in that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, one of my friends, uh, somebody did something to them that was terrible. And without hesitating, I said, what are we going to do? What do you need me to do? And this wasn't about jumping this guy or running him over in our car, though the thought did cross our minds. Uh, but it's how do we confront this situation together? How do I step into this with you? How do we, as two people who care about each other in a community called the church, come alongside one another and help one another through this? 
This whole idea of protection is why we tell kids when they go somewhere, take a buddy, do a buddy system. It's why after my wife works a shift at the hospital, I want her when she walks to her car to walk with some friends because I don't want her to walk alone because people who are alone in our culture are vulnerable. Single women and the elderly, they're preyed upon. And those of us with layers, church, family, friends, we are better insulated against trouble. So that's where he goes. And it almost seems like he takes this whole right turn here, but he doesn't. I'm going to talk about this and bring it all back together for you. Trust me, I'm a professional. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Uh, This is kind of what he's been talking about all of chapter 4. He speaks honestly about himself, and I think he speaks in a little bit of a metaphor here. But he says, verse 14, For he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There is no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him because we love to watch people fall. Surely this also is a vanity and a striving after wind. And so what Solomon does after talking about all of this is he moves to this place and this idea of blaming. When we rise and fall without community and isolation from one another, we tend to blame everybody else for our problems rather than taking responsibility for our decisions. We many times think we have to be perfect. So we fake our lives like, oh, every problems, I'm great, and no one can ever really and truly know us. And our, he says our societies and institutions, we, we have a leader. In Israel, in this culture, it was a king. But typically people will come to a place in their lives where there's something about their quality of life that they don't like. Solomon has been relating this to being alone in these last few verses. And when we are dissatisfied with something in our life where things look meaningless around us under the sun, blame can either go outward or inward. And typically in isolation, our blame goes outward. Our blame goes out there. We say, that's a clique. They don't let me in their clique. Those people, that they didn't invite me to dinner. Something is wrong with them. And that's what we do. As i got to tell you, if you don't invite me to something, I'm okay. okay? I, I, don't, I don't have FOMO. I'm, I'm okay not being invited to things because my life is busy enough. And if I want to go to something you're talking about, I will walk up and I'll say, what are you talking about? Can I come? Like, my wife hates it because she's an introvert, right? And I'll be, I won't invite myself to things if I want to go to something, all right? Again, she hates it. And my wife's like, stop talking. And I'm like, I don't know how to stop talking. This is terrible, right? But I won't, I won't invite myself to stuff. But typically, we have this thing that if we don't get involved in the thing we want, that we think that we think is going to make us feel fulfilled, we'll blame the leader of whatever group we think that is. Uh, this happens to Element all the time. It really does. Uh, I get blamed for people's lack of spiritual growth, lack of connection, lack of whatever. Uh, sometimes uh, we've actually had a couple of people leave Element because I couldn't be their best friend. Like they actually said that. Well, Aaron didn't spend enough time with me. Guys, honestly, I can't. I can't do that. This is why we push you guys to be involved in gospel communities with one another so you can connect with each other because we can't have two, three, four, five hundred connections with each other. We have to have smaller groups to get together and do this. And I think that we have to be honest enough about this to ask hard questions of ourselves. And and I do. When these questions come up, I actually do. You can ask the staff. Uh, we just had this strategic planning session, and we got together, and we talked about fear of missing out, this, this FOMO thing that a lot of people go through. And is, is it us? Is it them? Is, and quite frankly, the answer, I was going to say, it's you. No, the answer is actually both. It's both. And so we have to think of better ways to begin to walk through these things. And a lot of it is coming to the place where we understand what God has said over us, how God has invited us into relationship with him in himself. And so he speaks what is truth over us and not trying to get all of our 
all the things that we think we need from everybody else that are around us. And so we have to be honest and ask tough questions of ourselves. In what ways are we engaging or disengaging from community around us? In what ways are we stepping or not stepping into these things? Because ultimately what people in society do when they can't find anyone higher to blame is they start to blame God. This is what happens. Well, God, he's not loving me. God has loved us. God has rescued us, but we blame him for all this stuff. This is what happens to Adam in the garden. When Adam rebels and runs and he runs away from God, God comes in the garden. He goes, Adam, why did you sin? And Adam, what he does in response to God is he said, well, it was that woman that you gave me. What Adam just did is he got, he's got two layers before he doesn't have to look at himself. It's you and the woman. That's the problem right there. He does not look at what he did. And we all know it's Adam's own fault in the garden for what he did, but he blinded himself to the reality. Children today will blame parents. Parents will blame their children. Students blame their teachers. We all assume that the problem is out there somewhere. And this is important because as kindly as I can say this to you, Many times at your job, the reason you hate it is not your boss, though they might add to it. Okay? The reason why maybe like you don't like Element is maybe not me. I can greatly add to it. I understand that a lot. Okay? But the reason people don't like Christianity is not Jesus. And many times the reason that people have our time with their family is not because of their mom and dad, though their mom and dad can add to it. The reason that we fall into despair is because the problem isn't just out there. The problem is not something that someone else other than Jesus can take care of. The problem is in our hearts. And this is what Solomon keeps coming back to. From the moment sin first enters the world, it has sought to isolate us from each other. It has tried to pull us out of relationship with one another. And we are a people who are steeped in pride and selfishness and our world sent around ourselves and our own desires and our own feelings. And isolation makes it worse, which means sin makes it worse. Sin wants us to be alone because when we're alone, we focus on ourselves and we blame everything and everybody else that's out there and we get angrier and we get sadder and we start having all these things go on in our minds and we get judgmental and we get depressed and we find everything displeasurable because all these things aren't giving us the fulfillment of our lives that we want. And this is what Solomon is saying over and over and over. So let me see if I can pull a Solomon for you and help you out this morning. Uh, Many movements today are held together by what they are against and not what they're for. As a church, we are for Jesus. We are for people to come into rescue and hope and redemption and grace. But typically, people become known by things they hate. We don't like those guys. We don't like that church. We don't like that political party. What you have to understand is your life is a gracious gift from God. And what God has done is he has placed it under your jurisdiction, stewardship and responsibility. And what I would like to do for you this morning is invite you to take it back from wherever you've given it to. Whether it's hoping to get into that group or that club or whatever it is, take it back and surrender it to Jesus first. Because too often we think if something out there changes, then we will change. If I just get that, then my life will be different. But it's not true. The one that needs to change first and foremost in our lives is us. That's who needs to change. It's easier to blame all of our problems personally on someone else rather than take responsibility. And our only hope that the scripture tells us is to be a people who repent of our sins, of our jealousy, our laziness, our dissatisfaction, our workaholism, our blaming, all the things that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, and that we would begin to live and rest in the grace of God. And when we hear this word repent, so often we think it's someone with a sandwich board on the corner, repent, the end of the world is near. No, what repent, it's this beautiful Hebrew word, and it means to return. To return to who God is calling you to be. You've been running that direction. Come home. Come home. 
God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Come to him. Jesus says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In verse 15, he will say, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And what does he do? He lays down his life for us. That's exactly what he does. See, this is how how John talks about what Jesus says. Later, Paul will go on to say that Jesus has offered us friendship, that he has brought us in now, that we get to be in relationship with God, community with him, that he takes away our sin that isolates us from God, but in so doing, he takes away what, what isolates us from one another. And so we can now step into relationship with other people again. But that happens because we understand that we have first been forgiven, that we have first been loved. And then we offer that same forgiveness and love to those around us. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Past tense. He's forgiven you, so he forgives us. So he calls us to forgive and embrace other people. The practical outworking of the good news of God's rescue of us means there's a vertical connection between us and Jesus and a horizontal one between us and other people around us. Because friendships die because they do not know what, know what to do with the sin that gets between them. Somebody lets you down. Somebody said some harsh words that you don't like. What do you do with that? Would you take it to Jesus because he has forgiven and reconciled us, and so we forgive as well. We are called to be reconciled and forgive because we have a grace that comes from God. And this grace from God connects us to him and again to one another. And it's the only tether for friendship and community that endures because it's found in him first. And so what I'd like to say to you today is don't make the church something you observe. The church was never meant to be a building. Uh, One writer calls the church the beautiful wealth of people. Uh, That is social capital. Social capital right there. The church isn't just here so you bring your friends to hear me talk about Jesus, right? It's so that we can be involved in one another. So the world can see as we are transformed in relationship into one body. But that process is centered in Christ himself first. That's where it has to start. And this is why no matter what stands between us and other people, we understand that God has first removed our sin and called us into relationship with him because there is nothing as bad as how we've run from him and shunned him in our lives. And yet he still comes and rescues and calls us back in again. And in the understanding of that, we get to be a people who reach into friendships with those around us. We can be restored in friendships with people around us. It's one of the reasons when we talk about communion every week, where you take that cracker and it reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us, so you break it and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me because we are a people who had run from him and he brought us back into himself by what he has done to rescue us. And this is why. We talk about this every week. And then today in talking about Ecclesiastes and where we're at companionship, if you have something against somebody else, something that's just you're harboring in your heart, maybe that relationship may not even be restored because they don't want restoration. But maybe this is the place today where you understand your forgiveness, the grace that has been offered to you. And you can begin to let that go in your own heart and life so you can live a life that's more free because you're living in the freedom that God brings and has offered to you. So the band's going to come up. As they do, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you're in a place today where maybe you harbor something against somebody else or you think someone harbors something against you or maybe even you harbor something against God, 
Like God has not given you the things that you thought that you needed in your life to have whatever you thought you wanted. And you want someone to pray with you about that. They'd love to pray with you about that. I'll tell you the most interesting thing in the Old Testament is what you see is that the only thing God never wants from his people is their silence. I mean, he wants us to be silent to listen to the things that he says, but he doesn't want us to be silent when we're going through things. He wants us to cry out. You can be angry at God. He's big enough to be okay with it. He can handle it, okay? You, you talk to him, and he doesn't want us just to run, to isolate ourselves. He calls us back into relationship with himself and other people around us. Guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, the restoration of us, it results in all of these things in our lives of how we are renewed, of how we're restored, of how relationships come back together. This is, this is how any friendship or any marriage can actually start to function again because it's first centered in him and not ourselves. And when we understand all of that, things really do begin to change. Uh, there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done, uh, just like communion, just like prayer. Uh, there isn't, as I said, food outside today because they're doing the Frito boat, so we're kind of forcing you into spending money. Apparently, they are also taking credit cards, which I told them they should probably charge more if they do because it costs whatever. Anyway, um, Dave Ramsey, don't use credit cards. Uh, but, you know, g- grab a Frito boat. Maybe talk to some other people. Take some sermon notes. And maybe ask some of those questions of one another that are in there. I mean, what, what, what is your most important relationship other than your relationship with God? What is the hardest thing you've ever gone through in that? How do you bring about reconciliation in those hard relationships? You know, what, what is the thing that draws you to the beauty of who God is and his rescue of us? And then how can understanding that great rescue change how we are in relationship with those around us? And begin to talk with one another through these things in community, spurring one another on to trust who God is and his great rescue of us because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us in very practical ways of the hope that you have restored to us and that you bring into our lives. I ask that the understanding of your love first given to us, your grace first bestowed upon us, would then change how we live out the rest of our lives that we would truly love because we have first been loved, that we would truly offer grace because grace has first been given to us, that we would bless people around us because we understand how great the blessings are of hope and life and restoration with you again. Father, so often our mindset gets so myopic and we want to look around us and think everybody else is the problem when the reality is Sin wants to lay its hands upon our hearts and take us out of every meaningful relationship that we have around us. And yet you have come to break those chains and restore us to yourself. And in so doing, you restore us to relationships with other people as well. And so I ask that you would take us and teach us as a body of people that the world around us would know how good and great and full of grace that you are because of how your people begin to love one another, how we can step into each other's lives, even when all of us are a bunch of knuckleheads, and yet you call us to step into one another's lives and love through the hard times and the good times, through the joy and the sorrow, through laughter, through pain. You connect us because our lives are first found in you. So teach us to live out the great grace that we have received. 
and to trust you for every step we take in our lives, that you would gain great glory by how your people begin to love one another, and we would begin to live in that restoration and joy that you continue to bring. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.